When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on behalf of the podcast. Uh, Kyle, it feels good to say, you know, it was a great football Sunday. Oh, it was. I mean, the Sunday slate of games were outstanding. I mean, just in our agenda alone, we're probably going over six or seven games just from the Sunday slate as just individual segments. I mean, we'll do a roundup. Uh, of week two before we get to the end of the episode but dude what a sunday bro it was fantastic so i mean i mean let's get straight to it bro i mean we got a lot of games to go over you ready to dive into this absolutely all right so just to kind of you know do a quick fire of the agenda here uh we're gonna go over some of the better games from week two the first one we'll go over will be the dolphins and the ravens it was an absolutely phenomenal game Uh, the dolphins mounted a huge comeback in the fourth quarter to get the win on the road against the Ravens to go to 2-0. and After that, we'll talk about the Bengals and the Cowboys. Cowboys starting Cooper Rush and getting a dub over the Cincinnati Bengals was probably one of the more shocking results from Week 2, so that'll be fun to go over. After that, we'll talk about the Cardinals mounting a huge comeback, especially in the second half against the Raiders. Uh, they ended up winning that win in overtime. It was a phenomenal game. It looked like the Raiders were well in hand to get that victory, but the Cardinals really snatched it from really kind of snatched that one at the end. So good winner for them. After that, we'll talk about the Colts and the Jags to Kevin's dismay. Uh, the Jags shut them out and uh, just kind of continues the lack of success that the Colts have had on the road in Jacksonville specifically. After that, uh, we'll talk about the Jets and the Browns. This is just kind of a theme here. Um, the Jets pulled one of the craziest fourth quarter comebacks that you'll see within a relatively short period of time to essentially get the win right at the buzzer and they ended up getting a one point victory over the Browns. And then after that, we'll kick it over to the Seahawks and the 49ers. The biggest news coming from that was Trey Lance going down with a broken ankle and he will be out for the rest of the season. Uh, Despite that, the 49ers, Jimmy G filled in, came in, got the win for, for San Francisco. And right now, when it comes to Seattle, Geno Smith kind of returned back to earth after having a pretty solid week one start. After that, we'll do a quick week two roundup of the other games that took place on Sunday, and then we'll kick it into the Monday night game slate that we have. There's two games taking place on Monday, the first one being the Titans and the Bills, and then the last one will be the Vikings and the Eagles. So this is episode fully dedicated to NFL content. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive straight into this Baltimore-Miami Dolphins game. And Kevin, what a game it was. I mean, it looked like the Ravens were well in hand to win this one. At one point, the Ravens were up 35-14. to 14. Lamar Jackson looked like an absolute beast, not only in the passing game, but in the run game as well. Broke off his, I think it was his career-long rushing attempt. Uh, ended up getting a touchdown off of that. Absolutely ridiculous run by him. But Miami, they scored 28 points in the fourth quarter and ended up getting a game-winning touchdown with about 10 to 15 seconds left to Jalen Waddle. 
I mean, Tua, especially in the second half, was phenomenal. He ended up throwing six touchdowns in that game against Baltimore, which is a career high for him. And the Dolphins shocked the Ravens at home, coming back from a 21-point deficit to win that game 42-38. to So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, how impressive was Tua Tagovailoa in this comfort-behind victory over the Ravens? Dude, that, that was the performance of his life. That was... I'm tired of people saying I can't throw. I'm tired of people having all these negative connotations attached to my my career. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to carry this franchise and I'm going to prove that I was worth that number five overall pick. And he did that. He put his money where his mouth is. Obviously, he had a slow start in the first half, but he was able to rebound and have a 469-yard performance. That was incredible. A passer rating of over 124. Obviously, like Kyle said, six touchdowns. Dude, he may not be someone who you can rely on to have games like this week in and week out, but when it mattered the most, he showed up and they were able to put up 28 points in that fourth quarter. He shouldered the load and he said, you know what? I got this. Put the ball in my hands. And I think that he performed well above expectations because like Kyle said, they were down by so much early on. It was almost like... You could have rode that out. You know what I'm saying? As a franchise and as a team, you could have been like, you know what? We're down 30-some points. Not that you don't try, but you kind of like elevate your, your your foot off the gas pedal just a little bit. You're like, you know, we're going to make some stuff work. We're going to look competitive. But Baltimore, man, they had a lot of defensive breakdowns. They let Tyreek Hill basically run free in that second half. I mean, I believe he only had about 54 yards coming out of the third quarter, and then he ends up with a buck 90 and two touchdowns. Like, how do you let the fastest person in the league run past you? Like, I know it's easier said than done, but you have to know the majority of that man's routes got to be 20, 30 yards downfield. Like, Baltimore's secondary was getting absolutely torched. And the offense, they just weren't able to capitalize and move the ball effectively to where Miami's defense actually stepped up significantly to hold them. Uh, And I thought that that was just an incredible team effort overall. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying... Yeah, the Dolphins came back from behind, but Baltimore choked this game completely. Like, they, they were up multiple scores, and they just could not hold on to this. And I say that that's pretty bad, and I'm not saying that Lamar turned it over or anything like that, because he was 21-29, to 29, three touchdowns, a passer rating of 142. Like, he had over 100 yards on the ground. Like, we all know Lamar Jackson did his thing. But you just have to look at this and say, well, they didn't even have a turnover. Like, how do you manage to not move the football to get first downs to take clock away. Play calling could have changed. They could have got conservative. They could have taken their foot off the gas pedal because they were up so much. It was a lot of defensive blown coverages, some great throws by Tua, and obviously, you know, the the, the Miami defense did what they needed to do to stop them. But, man, this was definitely, for me, I know that we had an incredible game on Thursday, but because of the intensity of the comeback of this game, this has to be the game of the week for me. Shout out to my little brother, bro. I was not talking shit to him, but I was texting him that Tua was underthrowing some shit. And obviously, you know, he had a couple of balls that should have been a little bit more lead. But he got me right back. He said, at least, you know, at least we came back to win. You guys didn't even score. So, again, you know, kudos to my brother. Kudos to the Dolphins. What a game. Yeah, and Kevin, I mean, I'm with you 100% on this one. It looked like the Dolphins were dead in the water because at one point, Baltimore was up 35-14. to 14. Lamar Jackson was single-handedly the MVP of this game at that point in time. I mean, it's like you said, when it came to passing, he only had eight incompletions, had over 300 yards passing, had three touchdowns, one of which was also on the ground on top of it. So he had four total touchdowns. And 
looking back at that first half, Baltimore played essentially a perfect first half. They scored 28 points. They only gave up seven to Miami. And then the second half, it was like the game entirely flipped in favor of Miami. And Miami never looked back. I have to say, the fact that Tua was able to put on the show that he did after that first half performance, because let's face it, uh, he had a shaky first half, had two interceptions to Marcus Williams in the first half. Uh, Miami, like I said, only scored seven points, and it just didn't seem like the offense was in a rhythm. It just seemed like there was a lot of inconsistency. Uh, there was a lot of inconsistency on that side of the ball, and their defense, which had been great against New England in Week One, I mean, they were getting blown apart by that Ravens offense, especially Lamar Jackson. And then in the second half, I mean, I don't know what happened. Maybe Mike McDaniel had a really good halftime speech to the team, and maybe they finally got everything together because that second half started, they started getting it together. The third quarter was a little bit of a split just because both teams scored a touchdown. But that fourth quarter, man, Miami turned it up, and they never looked back. And Kevin, like you said, the fact that Baltimore had so many defensive lapses, especially in their secondary, that's unacceptable. Game's well in hand at that point. You're up 35 to 14. You can't give up 28 points in the fourth quarter, despite the fact that, you know, Miami is actually capable of that. I was even, I was actually kind of shocked that Miami actually was able to do that with Tua at the helm, just because there had been a lot of rumors flying around about Tua throughout not only last year, but this offseason about whether or not that he's the guy to lead Miami moving forward. Well, based off of this performance, you could basically put all that side talk to the side because, you know, throwing six touchdowns, that's incredible. And the fact that he was able to really rally the offense and not only get them back into the game to tie it, but to end up leading a game-winning drive by throwing the game-winning touchdown to Jalen Waddle with 10 or 15 seconds to go. Man, what a day from Tua. I mean, a fantastic day. Didn't have the hottest start, but man, sometimes it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And just a great game from him. I just... The duo of freaking Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, Man, this wide receiver duo is going to be something special if they can produce at this clip. Because like you said, you know Tyreek had a buck 90. Jalen had 110. Between the two of them, they had 300 yards receiving. You could definitely tell that Tua and Tyreek and Jalen, th those guys are all on the same page. And that's probably going to be a solid relationship moving forward with all those three guys. If they're able to build off of what they did in this game, and just improve the chemistry from here on out. Miami could be a real threat this year. But just for this game itself, man, what a comeback from Miami. And Baltimore, they got to look themselves in the mirrors like, how the hell did we let this one slip? Because this was well in their hand. And they just got freaking ran roughshod by Miami in the fourth quarter. Good on Miami. But Baltimore, that's going to be a tough film session uh, this upcoming week when they have to watch that film of them getting torched in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that was a mess. Um, and Jalen Watto actually had a buck 71. It's crazy, bro. It's they crazy. had they, crazy. There really, there really isn't any words. I'm, I just, I don't really have it. Jalen's only in his second year. That's scary. I mean, I mean, obviously we all know what Tyreek Hill possesses. I mean, he's the fastest receiver probably in NFL history. I mean, as far as just his overall playmaking uh, capabilities, I'm not talking about just 40 time individually. I'm just talking about on game day. There's no receiver that's faster than him. He's just on a different level. When he got that, I believe it was the game tying touchdown where he just burned everybody on that go route. I mean, as soon as he caught it, bro, he put up the deuces. He was like, I'm out. Went straight to the end zone. Never looked back. And 
if they're able to get that working with him and Jalen, and if Tua just has the arm strength and the consistency to complete passes at a high level, this offense is is definitely legit. It's just whether it's whether or not they can run the ball effectively on top of that, because it can't just be all Tua. But man, yeah. what a performance though. And that's despite the fact that I thought Lamar Jackson had a great day too. Yeah, Lamar was definitely campaigning for that super big contract. He was definitely yeah. looking up at the the higher brass in the boxes yeah. saying, yeah, I didn't want to give me my money, and this is what I'm doing. So, well, you know, I mean, again, bro, kudos to him. Bro, he had a buck 19 rushing. I, Nuts. I mean, he, he was the leading rusher by for far and away. Teams. I mean, compared to everybody else, the next closest rusher for Baltimore was just as hell with 16 yards for rushing. I mean, I granted Lamar got it on a huge chunk play, but still, like, it's absolutely insane the the level of pressure that Lamar has on his back with that offense, because right. literally it is him, and that defense did him no favors whatsoever. That defensive nope. performance, especially in the fourth quarter, was shameful. There's just, there's no way you could allow a twenty eight point fourth quarter when that game was well in hand. But that's what happens when you take your foot off the pedal, and Miami took full advantage of it, bro. Good on them though. So they definitely, yeah. you know, I thought Baltimore was going to get that win, but Miami just snatched it, and they it's well-deserved as far as I'm concerned. But with that said, we're going to transition to our next game, and that is going to be the matchup between the Bengals and the Cowboys. And this one, another shocking result. The Cowboys, led by Cooper Rush, of all people, get get the dub. They won by the score of 20-17. to 17. And look at it right now. The Bengals are 0-2 to start the year. And mind you, they're coming off of a Super Bowl appearance last year led by Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon. And they're looking at an 0-2 hole right now. And once again, the point of emphasis when it comes to the Bengals is their inability to protect Joe Burrow. He was sacked a multitude of times against the Cowboys. And even despite the fact that Cincinnati definitely played better in the second half. They definitely had a lot more uh, time of possession on their side in the second half. They just couldn't get a drive when they needed it at the end of the fourth quarter. Dallas took advantage of it. Cooper Rush marched the Cowboys into field goal position and ended up getting the game-winning field goal at the buzzer. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, now that the Bengals sit at an 0-2 record to start the year, how concerned are you with the Bengals moving forward? Bro, I need... need Look, look, everybody here, look at me. If you're a Bengals fan, I am so sorry. Granted, I got shut out by the fucking Jaguars today, so I have really no room to talk. That offensive line needs to be just, a, they need to run gassers, they need to run hills, they need to be stripped away of all of their, and all of their human rights at this point. They, they played horrible. There's no justification for it. There's no excuse. You guys suck. You absolutely suck. There is no happy medium. You are playing so poorly that this man, Joe Burrow, is running for his life week in and week out. We have only played official football for two weeks, and Joe Burrow has been sacked 13 times. Is the, do you want him to die? Do you want to win games? You're all millionaires. You're professional athletes. You are a starting offensive lineman for a professional franchise in the National Football League, and you can't even do your job. Joe Burrow needs to look at them and be like, bro, I don't even want to play with you. Pull, pull, pull a Jimmy Butler, get the second string in, fuck it, get the third string in. If I'm Joe Burrow, 
You know how quarterbacks are always doing Christmas presents for their offensive linemen? Bro, I'm not giving you a damn thing. And what I'm going to give you is a how to block book, how to be a lineman book. I'm going to give you the playbook again, and I'm going to circle protect. I don't understand, bro. To me, it makes no sense. We both thought, as well as a lot of other people in this business, the acquisition of the three offensive linemen that they acquired this offseason was going to do the complete opposite of this, was going to minimize Joe Burrow being on his back, was going to minimize the pressure, and the opposite happened. Granted, he was able to carry them back into this game, thank God, and they were able to score 14 points in the second half, and Cincinnati's defense stepped up and limited Dallas to three, but it wasn't enough. I don't understand. The defense was gassed at the end of the game because it was just Cooper Rush was just finding holes in the defense, Dalton Schultz, Obviously, C.D. Lamb and a couple of other plays. But overall, man, this is 100% on the offensive line. Joe Burrow had no turnovers. Michael Parsons was in that backfield the whole game. This needs to be corrected. Because if this continues, Joe Burrow's not going to make it the rest of the year. Bro, I, I, I hate, I'm not wishing injury, knock on wood. Kyle and I both know. This is going to end in him tearing an ACL, breaking a bone. He's going to get a concussion or, or worse. Bro, he looks like he's running to literally survive. I, don't, I, I, I cannot comprehend it. Cooper Rush played a great game, 235 yards and a touchdown. Didn't do anything crazy, but did enough just to win. The running game in Dallas got over 100 yards on the ground. So again, kudos to the organization for putting a, a well-balanced offense uh, around the team to actually you know mold to Cooper Rush's talents. And then obviously, again, Dallas's defense in the first half, flawless. Three points. Second half, not so much. Again, Joe Burrow was able to dissect and do what he needed to do at the end of the game. But, man, the run game hasn't been able to do anything. The passing game takes way too long to get into a rhythm, which usually in the last two weeks has been in the second half of the game and most times fourth quarter. I, there's no more excuses. I've run out. I'm, I'm not even a Bengals fan, and I'm livid, bro. Do you know how frustrating it is to see Joe Burrow literally get the ball in the shotgun, and immediately start to say, I have no, where, where am I supposed to go? And he's getting it from all angles. And whoever is calling, whoever the offensive line coach for Cincinnati needs to be fired. It, it needs to be fired immediately. You're going to line up with Micah Parsons in single coverage. Kyle and I were talking about this later on my way home from my, uh, my girl's uncle's house. There was no scheme to protect Joe. There was no tight end. There was no running back chip. There was no wide receiver. There was no double team. It was... We're good enough to block Micah Parsons. He tortured Tom Brady last week, probably the best quarterback in football. What on earth makes you think that he's not going to annihilate the weakest offensive line in the league? And uh, tell, tell, tell me how that makes sense. How is it the Chicago Bears have less sacks allowed, and they're a way worse team than the Bengals? And they have a win. They don't fix this. This is going to get out of hand quick. And, you know, again, I don't wish injury. Joe Burrow is going to get hurt if this doesn't change immediately. You know what's kind of interesting about this whole Bengals situation now that they're 0-2 is it actually puts people like us. I'm talking about, like, in the media profession. It makes us actually look at the real issues that's going on with the Bengals because a lot of times, and I think it just kind of comes with the territory, we focus on the stars. We focus on the glitz and the glamour that comes with these performances within these games. Now you actually get to see the heartbeat of the team, especially in the offense. And it is the offensive line. 
There's no other way to say it. Without an offensive line, you don't have those highlight plays. You don't have quarterbacks that are throwing three, four, five hundred yards, you know, in each individual game. You don't have that. If you don't have an offensive line to protect you, there's no offense. And this isn't seven v seven. It's eleven versus eleven. And right now, the way that I see it is the Bengals' offensive line is failing. Not only Joe Burrow, they're failing their team, and it's it's shameful as far as I'm concerned. I'm looking at the five linemen right now. You got Jonah Williams, Cordell Volson, Ted Karras, Alex Kappa, and Leal Collins. Like Kevin just alluded to, they went out in free agency and picked up Ted Karras, Alex Kappa, and Leal Collins to rebuild and bolster up this offensive line. Mind you, when we look at the Bengals from last year with their offensive line, there's only one returning starter from that Super Bowl team. Everybody else is a new face in a new position. And the fact of the matter is, I think they've actually gotten worse so far. Within the first two weeks, like Kevin said, 13 sacks is unacceptable. And not only that, the Bengals, I believe, are the first team in NFL history to come off a Super Bowl appearance and going into the next year, lose to two teams where they were the seven-point favorite. Because the Bengals just lost to Cooper Rush and Mitchell Trubisky in the first two weeks. That's insane. The Bengals are one of the best teams in the AFC. And look what happens when you have no offensive line to protect your biggest asset in Joe Burrow. You get basically what I would call gutter performances. They scored 20 points against the Steelers. The Steelers just lost to the Patriots. And the Patriots have their own issues as well. And then they just lost to the Cowboys, who are playing up against a backup with Dak Prescott out six to eight weeks because of a broken thumb. These are these are the type of games that make us focus on the trenches. This is where you win and lose games at the line of scrimmage. And these offensive linemen are failing their team. The fact that Dallas got six sacks is insane. It's like they didn't even learn anything from the week before against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had seven. And then you go out the next week and you give up six? Kevin, you're 100% right. Whoever is this offensive line coach or whoever is working the offensive lineman in practice Monday through Saturday, their job needs to be on the hot seat moving forward because this is just insane. And mind you, I used to play high school football as a lineman. And I understand the importance that comes along with being a lineman. I mean, it's utterly crucial to have a tip-top line to protect your quarterback and also to open up run lays for your running backs. And these guys are failing at every single level so far. Now, granted, it is week two. And these guys are in positions where they're probably still learning the chemistry between each other. And I think the biggest thing moving forward is they're going to have to work on their communication because their communication, the way that I see it is these guys are just not hitting their protections right. And like you said, I think there also needs to be an adjustment when it comes to play calling and formation scheming. Because there's no way that you could just let TJ Watt in week one and now Micah Parsons in week two just run roughshod over your offensive line and let Joe Burrow be the victim of that. So the Bengals got to look themselves in the mirror moving forward because this is unacceptable for one of the best teams in the AFC to look utterly like trash in the first two weeks of the year. I do think they, they can counteract this and they can get it back together. But... Had you told me two, three weeks ago that the Bengals would have started 0-2 and they look like one of the worst offenses in the league, I would have thought that you were crazy. Well, after these two games, 
they kind of proved how bad they look when their offensive line is not up to snuff and they got a lot to work on here. So yeah, the Bengals are in a bad spot right now. Granted, like you said, give the Cowboys credit. The Cowboys came to play today, especially the defense. You know, the whole Joe Burrow in that offense of 17 points, good on them. And especially when it comes to their pass rush, because their pass rush was on point. And Cooper Rush did enough to get them in position to get the game-winning field goal, you know, to get them back to 1-1. One and one. But yeah, when it comes to the Bengals, the Bengals are in a little bit of trouble right now. But I do think that if they can fix the chemistry issues on the offensive line and maybe fix the communication and formation schemes, I do think that Cincinnati can bounce back. That's just how I see it. Hey. Again, I'm not even a Bengals fan, and I just got myself livid. Like, that is just completely barred on unacceptable performances. I believe I also saw a statistic that said Joe Burrow's the first quarterback in NFL history to be sacked three or more times in, I think, seven consecutive games. It's it's unacceptable. I, it, how, I mean, how does that happen? I, to me, I, I, like, I don't know like if Joe Burrow, like, if he, like, pissed off his linemen and his linemen are kind of doing this, like, on the side, like... No. As like some sort of revenge. I don't see that. But the fact of the matter is, you know, Joe Burrow is their biggest asset. And usually when it comes to alignment, they are super protective of their quarterback. They're not going to let him get hit. You know, unless you just get, you go up against a good pass rush and there's nothing you can do about it. But these guys are just failing. And granted, it is September. So I'm not going to say it's the end of the world right now. But it is very concerning to say the least that, man... If this offensive line does not get it together, it could ruin their whole season as a whole. It's absolutely crazy because I, I'm not of this mindset that what the Bengals did last year was a fluke. I saw too much last year to point in the direction of note, like the Bengals are going to be a very good team moving forward. And that was despite the fact that they had so many issues on the offensive line, especially in that divisional game against the Titans where they gave up nine sacks and still won that game. They got to get it together, bro. There's, and, there's no, there's no and, medium. There's, and, and that's it. it. And it might be a change of leadership at that offensive line uh, coaching position. I think that oh, yeah. it's going to happen. Because if if Joe gets sacked five or more times next week, yeah, there, there's going to be there's going to be a cry to get some some people fired on that offensive coaching staff because thirteen sacks in two weeks is it, it's insane. It's unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. If I'm that head coach, I'm livid. I'm livid at my offensive lineman. Like you said, I'd have them running gassers all day tomorrow. Like you guys got to step up. You guys, and, and I know, and I know it's not high school. I know it's not how it works. It's the, these are grown men, and at the end of the day, if they don't want to do it, they don't have to do it. I know that, that they can get suspended and fined and all that. Sh- I'm just saying, like it's not like we're they're children. You need to treat them like children because they're playing like children. You're giving, you're getting paid millions of dollars in some cases to do tens your of job, and you're not doing it. And you know what? Point blank it, period. It has a residual effect on the rest of the team and the rest of the performance and. This is something that we had to discuss a little bit. You could see it in Joe. Joe is like he's he's feeling the pressure when it's not even there because he's expecting a hit or he's expecting pressure. And when that happens, when he doesn't have the confidence to be able to do his job effectively, that's not a reflection on him. That's a reflection on the offensive lineman. And I actually am glad that out of all the things that we're talking about with the Bengals, it's instead of Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, all the playmakers, we're talking about the offensive line. Like, we never really discuss the offensive line in the grand scheme of things when it comes to our segments. But this is the focal issue of that team. And I, I'm actually just kind of happy that the linemen are actually getting a look here for once because they're the main crux of the issue at play for Cincinnati. 
The defense is not the issue. The defense has kept the defense kept them in it. In the first two games, that defense has kept them in it. And that was despite the fact that they had five turnovers last week on the offensive side of the ball against Pittsburgh. The fact that they only gave out 23 points to Pittsburgh, it's kind of astonishing with how many turnovers that they had. It's the offensive line. And it it is clear-cut and concise as far as I'm concerned. Even I'm kind of getting a little bit heated because I was an offensive lineman in high school. And I understand the importance that comes along with that responsibility. And now you're seeing it play out in real time. 13 seconds. Bro, that is unacceptable. It's Time to move on before we give ourselves an aneurysm. I might have had a minor one already. But but with that said, Kev's right. We'll go on to the next game. Uh, we're going to focus on the Arizona Cardinals and the Las Vegas Raiders. This was quite a game as well. I mean, people, especially me, thought that the Raiders had this one in the back. The Raiders looked pretty dominant through the first three quarters. And then Kyler Murray and that Cardinals offense got it together in the fourth quarter. Scored 16 unanswered points in the fourth quarter specifically to get them into overtime. And just getting into overtime was crazy because they had a touchdown at the buzzer and they got a, a solid two-point conversion to get to, get it to overtime. And then Cardinals get a touchdown in overtime, seal the deal at a 29-23 score. So, Kevin, to get this one to you, how impressed were you by Kyler Murray leading a solid comeback for the Cardinals against the Raiders in Week 2? Listen, Kyler's been getting a lot of scrutiny since he's gotten that contract. Obviously, people have been on him for practice, Call of Duty, uh, you know, that whole clause situation in which Arizona ended up removing it. Um, And, you know, they just played so so poorly against the Chiefs last week that you kind of looked at it and said, well, is Kyler Murray kind of washed? Is he like, is he checked out? He's got the bag now. It's like, is he he done playing? And then he does things like this. Now, the numbers don't necessarily scream uh, incredible. But if you watch that game, which I did, you can see that without him, none of this would have been possible. His elusiveness, his escapability. I believe that one play where he threw that touchdown to, oh my God, of course I'm going to forget his name. He kind of, he, no, he ended up rushing for a touchdown. He scrambled 85 yards worth in the field, about 25 yards back from the goal line where they were and scored a touchdown because of his ability to shake defenders and create space. His footwork is absolutely incredible. His ability to be able to detect the rush is crazy because he's able to make moves and shift his bo- shift and contort his body in ways that most quarterbacks wish they could. Him being smaller, him being so quick, I give him so many props because, again, I told you, the numbers don't say anything crazy. He only had 28 rushing yards. It doesn't necessarily include all of the extra work he had to do to create the, I guess, offensive plays that he did. And he was able to lead the Cardinals all the way back from, I believe, 23 to 7 or 20. Yeah, no, 23 to 7 at one point. And they come back and win 29 to 3. So, I mean, big shout out to Zach Ertz going out there and, and getting some critical first downs. Hollywood Brown had a big game. And then, you know, Daryl Williams had that rushing touchdown. He had a 30 yard breakaway. I, I, dude, the Cardinals, I don't know what it is in week two, so many teams had to get like a a kick in the back or like a fire under their butt, and they just turned it around, man. Kyler Murray led this team back to victory. It was an incredible comeback story. The Raiders were just not able to get anything going in that fourth quarter. The ball wasn't able to move. And again, it's another weird game where there weren't any turnovers. Like until overtime, the Raiders had no turnovers. 
So you're looking at it saying, how in the hell? Three and outs, man. Inability to create a, a consistent offense. Inability to move the chains. I mean, you name it. Bad play call. I don't know. Derek Carr looked great this game. He literally was, what, he had a passer rating of almost 100. He was only sacked once. He had two touchdowns. But the unsung hero, Arizona's defense locked them down. Devontae Adams only had two catches, one of them being a touchdown. But outside of that, completely locked up. Darren Waller only had 50 yards. Hunter Renfro had 59 yards, but he had those two fumbles in OT. Again, I, say that light, I don't say that lightly. Um, and, of course, Waller had that touchdown. But, uh, man, I just Arizona showed a lot of fight, especially after the blowout that they had last week. They could have easily just let this one go again. Another team that you're just like, you're, we're down by so many. We're not able to move the chains. Um, and they just showed you don't quit in football, man. It's not over till the final buzzer uh, goes off, till the clock hits zero. And Kyler Murray, it, to me, earned a lot of my respect because there were a lot of plays last week where he just kind of like ran around and nothing was able to kind of transpire from that. And he just couldn't get it going. And it looked like he kind of gave up. But Kudos to him for finding a way to make this win happen and making it possible. And the Raiders, unfortunately, fall to all in, uh, fall to zero and two. I mean, I gotta say, I I feel like the Cardinals kind of channeled their inner Miami Dolphin based off of what the Dolphins did to the Ravens in the earlier slate of games that took place on Sunday. Because, I mean, going through the game itself, the first half, the the Raiders dominated the first half. I mean, they shut out the Cardinals. It was twenty to nothing at halftime, but it was this was a game of two halves basically it was really a tale of that storyline because i mean the raiders only got three points in the second half and then arizona really showed out in the fourth quarter and got it to ot and ended up getting the dub on the road and like you said i think when it comes to kyler murray kyler murray has his moments um he's had some good moments in the past last year they got off to a great start last year basically you know damn near going like 10 and 0 and they had a i think it was even 11 and 0 and then they just fell apart in the last quarter of the year and in large part that was just due to injury and Kyler Murray's inconsistency at the quarterback position and going into this game specifically I thought Arizona was going to kind of continue that same trajectory of what happened against the Chiefs in week one because it just didn't look like they had it in the first half they were getting smoked and to the Raiders credit you know it looked like they were going to bounce back pretty effectively from losing that tough game to the Chargers in week one but I gotta say Kyler definitely showed me that he's resilient and even though that it wasn't his best performance, he kept them in it. And then on top of that, the defense did their offense a favor by basically locking up the Raiders in the second half by only giving up three points. You combine those factors together, you can get a comeback like this where you're down 23 to seven. And the fourth quarter, you run off 16 straight points and you get a touchdown as time expires. You get a two point conversion to keep you in it to get to overtime. And I got to say, you know, the Cardinals just kept moving forward in OT and then ended up, you know, getting a solid drive to lead them on a game-winning touchdown drive. And that's it. That's how you end up back at 500 after getting basically rocked by the Chiefs in week one where you gave up 44 points. It looked like in this game, they could have given up another 40-point performance had they allowed the Raiders to do what they did in the first half going into the second. But, you know, the the chart, the, not the Chargers, the Cardinals showed some heart here. Because they could have just decided to pack it in at 23-7. to This is just the Raiders' day. It's just not our day. We'll regroup after an 0-2 start. But good on Arizona for you know staying in, staying poised under the pressure, and getting back to 500. So when it comes to the Cardinals, I'm still in the mindset that they're probably going to play second and third fiddle in the NFC West. Uh, just because it looks like the Rams are still the top dog in that division. But 
at least Arizona showed me some grit and showed me some resilience in this week two win against the Raiders. I got to give them that when it's all said and done. Isaiah Simmons, shout out to you, bro. That forced fumble on Hunter Renfro to win the game was flawless. That tackle for you to go out, wrap him up, and and, and just put put a smack on the ball. Ball instincts. Absolutely incredible. Reminded me of, you know, Darius Leonard, who I miss very dearly. Excuse me, Shaquille Leonard. Um, but man, that 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 fumble of run back was just electric. I'm I was I'm not a Cardinals fan, but I was going absolutely apeshit in my girl's uncle's house. We all were because we were just like watching it come down to the wire. Arizona's making this crazy comeback. It looks like Derek Carr is gonna lead them down the field. They had gotten away with a fumble from Hunter Renfro, like a player two prior. And then he fumbles again. It just goes to show, like I said a couple minutes ago, bro, you do not stop playing until the game is over. Like, you don't stop. Bro, that play was so impactfully, like, insane. Like, to be aware, to get your head on the ball. Crazy, bro. It's just beautiful. I love football, bro. I really do. Yeah, when it's all said and done, you know, it's just I love football. No, it's just, when it comes to the Cardinals, I mean... You know, they showed they showed some grit. They showed some poise because, like I said, they could have just decided to pack it in when they were down 23-7 to or, hell, even 20 to nothing at halftime, but they didn't give up. They stayed with it. Uh, Kyler kept the faith, and by and large, compare that with how the defense played by holding the Raiders to three points in the second half after the Raiders got off to a really good start in the first half. I'm, I'm looking at that Cardinals defense. I got, got to give them a thumbs up after that because they really showed out in that second half just because they limited the Raiders' opportunities significantly in that second half. And, you know, by and large, you know, you're looking at the Raiders right now. The Raiders are looking at an 0-2 hole right now. In that division, that's going to be a tough start because that AFC West is stacked from top to bottom. And it looked like, you know, at first that this was going to be a performance that was going to get them back to a 500 record. But, man... Being down 0-2, that's to start the year, or starting at an 0-2 record. It's a tough one knowing that these two games that the Raiders had, they could have won both of them. Because they only lost to the Chargers by five points in week one. They lost this one by six points. Man, some of these single-digit games, they could go either tough way. Tough to swallow, bro. Man, it really man, is You tough. want them to go in your favor, and it really is a tough pill to swallow when you're losing these really critical one-possession games, especially when... You definitely had some plays in your control, and you just didn't execute. So, you know, it's week two. The Raiders can definitely bounce back, but, yeah, they're going to be a little bit of an uphill climb to get back to a 500 record uh, because it doesn't get any easier playing up against that division. That division is not not an easy slate of teams to go up against. Now, this is going to give Kevin a lot of migraines, a lot of pain, suffering, whatever sort of synonym you want to attach to it. We're going to talk about the Colts here. Uh, the Colts had a pretty disgraceful performance against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, the Jags came to play. Trevor Lawrence looked solid. The The Jags defense was incredible from beginning to end in this game. Uh, the Jags just have their number uh, in Jacksonville because I mean, Kevin's alluded to it before. The Colts just cannot win in Jacksonville in any way, shape, or form. And this result may even be more embarrassing than last year's result at the last game of the year where the Jags effectively smashed the Colts when the Colts were trying to play for a playoff spot at the end of last year. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, how would you rate the Colts' performance against the Jags this past weekend in Week 2? Awful. Piss. Poop. Shit. 
atrocious embarrassment. I mean, I, the list literally goes on and on and on and on. Um, Kyle knows this, that when we talked personally, when the schedule came out and I went down the list and I was like, I do my personal, like, this is a win. This is a loss. I said, this was a loss. He, and, and, and Kyle laughed. I, I know my team. I, I just, I know them deep rootedly internally. Like I'm basically in the locker room. I just, I, I know this organization. I know how it works. Matt Ryan looked like a 55-year-old man all over again. The offensive line was terrible. We weren't able to run the football. We had turnovers. It's, it, bro, our pass defense was abysmal. On the ground, they ran the ball 37 times. We held them to 2.6 yards per carry. So our run defense is solid. Solid as shit. Bro, but pass coverage? Kenny Moore was getting embarrassed. Stephon Gilmore was getting embarrassed. Nick Cross was getting embarrassed. Like... it. Our secondary looks like dog shit. We get no pressure on the quarterback again, basically for almost two straight weeks. Outside of Quiddy Pay's two sacks last week, we would basically have zero. We didn't sack Trevor Lawrence not once today. He had a passer rating of 121. He only had five incompletions. He had two touchdowns. Like, I, there is literally nothing you can say positive about the Colts. Not one thing. And as negative as it sounds... This was like a washed game. Like I, I would have rathered you put in Nick Foles or Sam Ellinger at this point because Matt Ryan played that bad. He had a pass rating of 34. Matt Ryan had three interceptions. Um, it just, it literally just, why? Like play calling in some instances, atrocious protection. We just, Matt Ryan had no time in certain instances, had to throw the ball away. And so, two plays in particular, he threw it up instead of out and it sailed into double coverage. And the Jaguars picked it off twice. One of them was a deflection, but still. Um, it's, it's, it's genuinely the point of I can't handle this week in and week out, honestly. Like, there's times I don't want to watch this team play football. Like, it's just, it's just so frustrating. Like, we're continuing the, the, the shit performance that we ended the season with last year. All this hype around him being a good leader. All this hype around his accuracy and how he demands the ball in certain places. And the defense is coming back better than ever. Um, adding uh, uh, Ngakwe. I'm starting to see that that trade might have been a regret. I, I know it's two weeks in. Uh, Rocky Scene's out here making good plays in, in Vegas, and we need cornerback depth because the corners that we have right now are getting torched. I mean, Christian Kirk killed us for 78 yards and two touchdowns. Who the fuck is Christian Kirk? <laughs> Realistically, like, seriously, who, who are you, bro? We have been making fun of you all offseason for getting such a massive bag, and he killed us. Bro, Evan Ingram had seven catches. That man is a walking butterfinger, and he had seven catches. Like, there is zero excuse for us to be a professional football team right now. 24 points allowed to the Jaguars, which could have been a lot worse. Once again, the defense did what it needed to do to stop the run because they were trying to drain the clock as much as possible. And I think we had, the, we had four or five possessions in the fourth quarter alone because we were able to stop them. But our offense couldn't go anywhere. We were completely incapable of moving the football. I also want to touch Mike Strain or Mike Strauch, whatever the hell his name is, number 17 on, on, on the Colts. He is six foot four. Why is it he only gets three targets? Why, why, why is Desmond Patton getting six? He is literally proven to us in a multitude of plays in multiple instances between last season and this season that he can play. Throw up and get it at the goal lines, crossing over the middle of the field. And we're sitting here, we're giving Ashlyn Doolin more touches. 
play calling. Jonathan Taylor had nine rushes. Nine. Nine, for those of you that can't hear. Our best player didn't touch the football. I don't, I, I, again, I'm not understanding this. I'm, I'm flabbergasted that this happened the way that it did. I literally left my house at 145 and we were already down 14 and there was like eight minutes left in the first quarter. I literally left my house laughing, saying that this game is already over and we ended up losing by 24. Shut them down the second half. They only had seven points. Didn't do anything. The Colts are an embarrassment, bro. The Colts might literally be one of the worst teams in the division because I saw more fight in Houston playing Denver today. Houston. Embarrassment. That's all I have to say. Would you say that this loss was even more embarrassing than the season-ending game last year where the Colts just got freaking railroaded by the Jags? When they were yeah, at least we scored in garbage time. At, at least we, at least we scored. At, at, at least we put points on the board. So, at least, so at this least game there, was, there was something. This game was worse. Yes, bro. All phases look like shit. We couldn't do anything. The Jaguars look like a playoff team right now. Like what? Trevor Lawrence had five incompletions. Trevor looked good today, bro. He looked on, dicing, he looked on point. bro. Dicing. His last two games against us, bro. He looks like an MVP. I guess you guys. I guess the rest That's of the league. It's the last two games against us, I said. It's, it's a little iffy compared to everybody else. But, I mean, I just don't know what it is. Like, Kev, like, this is going on 10 years where you guys have not won a game in Jacksonville. Do they just have your number? Like, Yeah. Yes. Well, we've had you... six quarterbacks in six years. Yes, they have our number. It's clearly nothing to do with the fact of we're not a good football team. They just they just beat us. We've had six different offensive styles run, and we can't beat them. Because, I mean, we're talking about Jacksonville. It's not like we're well, talking aware. about like the, like the Chiefs or like the Patriots. I, I mean, I could understand like if you're struggling against a team like that on the road. But Jacksonville? Fire Frank. Five of those losses under Frank. Fire Frank. And Jacksonville won the season series against you guys last year. Fire Frank. You think that's going to solve the issues, though? Or you think it's clearly gonna, or you think until it's just a start? he's clearly clearly he's not passing the play calling over to anybody? Fire Frank. Like you I'm said, nine, nine touches for Jonathan. Taylor. Fire Frank. You want to start the hashtag right now? I, I I will literally. I know I'm not the only Colt fan that feels this way. This is ridiculous. Like we have not gotten better at all because we've continued to change our quarterback. We've continued to go through multiple offenses. And the only consistent thing as we have continued to suck is Frank Reich. There's a there's there's there's, there's a common denominator here. I, We're not good because he is not a good play caller. I don't care what you did in Philly. I don't care if you're a quarterback whisperer. I don't give a shit if you have one of the coolest comebacks in NFL history in the postseason with the Bills in like nineteen twelve. I don't care. You suck as a play caller. Pass the buck to someone else, and you are a great leader. The locker room loves you and respects you. You're invested. You're a player's coach. That's phenomenal. But as a play caller, you are literally the epitome of Sabo shit. Awful. There's no, I, there's no happy medium. I, I, That's I, I've, it. Got, I've got to ask you this. So this is on a different, different topic. Do you believe that Chris Ballard deserves some blame for the lack of receiver depth on this team? 
because Dude, how how are you comfortable with this receiving room? And for all the Colt fans out here, sign T.Y. Hilton. What the fuck is that going to do? Are you kidding me? Seven games last year, paid him $10 million. He was hurt the entire season with like five different injuries. He's 30-something years old. You think he's going to save this team? He's probably going to get hurt again. And I'm not giving him money. So wake up. This has nothing to do with T.Y. Hilton. This is a Chris Ballard problem. We should have went and got Julio Jones. We should try and go get Odell Beckham. We're not doing anything. You don't want to spend money externally. I respect that. If you do not go and get us a receiver, you need to go too. And I love you because you are an incredible GM when it comes to drafting talent. Nobody saw Shaq, uh, Shaq Leonard. Nobody saw Nick Cross. No one saw Julian Blackman. Half, like Michael Pittman Jr., Jonathan Taylor. You have gone out and built us a squad, but you don't build us a receiving room. On what planet does that fucking make sense, bro? Like It's, bo- it's boiling my mind that we're sitting here and we are 0-1-1 because we have zero receivers outside of Michael Pittman. On any other team, Michael Pittman's a number two or three receiver. He's our number one target. Ashlyn Doolin is a special teams player, and he's getting seven targets. This is a joke. We are a laughing stock. Chris Ballard is an incredible person. I've seen multiple interviews, multiple players talk about him. But when it comes to spending money, bro, you are like a literal like, like a like a like a the cheapest GM I've ever seen, bro. We have like a top five cap space in the league. Almost every single year. We offload Carson's contract and you don't bring in any receivers. I don't get it. The fact that you even said publicly you're happy with your receiving room. You're a joke. The two of you, get the fuck out. This is your boy, Chris Ballard. This is your boy. I love Ballard for drafting, man. But if he doesn't see the problem, I don't know. Who, I, don't know what to, I don't know what he sees. I don't. And there's no disrespect, bro. I think Patman, I think Strawn, I think Doolin are... are Decent players, bro. I do. Bro, that, that can't be our receiving room. This is, this is a joke. Give me Odell with one leg. I mean, hell, I mean, I remember when, when it came to the Patriots, like the Patriots don't necessarily have the deepest wide receiver core as far as like talent goes, but they do have depth. Like they have Nelson Aguilar. They have Jacoby Myers. They have Kendrick Bourne. They have Devontae Parker, who they, they haven't targeted that much. But at least they have three or four solid wide receivers that are consistently getting open and, and getting attempts. But when I'm looking at, I'm just looking at the box score from today when it comes to the Colts and the Jags game. It's like you said, Ashton Doolin on any other team is probably a fourth or fifth string guy for the wide receiving core. I mean, he hides, he comes out of the backfield, so he's more of a third down passing back. We put him in the slot a lot today. And he still only had four catches. But but, so but, but like, Kev, but Kev, you know, pardon my ignorance here. I don't know who Desmond Patton is. I don't know who Michael Strachan is. I don't know Kylan Granson. The, these are guys. I mean, I mean, these guys must be like either rookies or second year guys or un no, or undrafted free agents. Patman and Strawn are on year two or three with the Colts. I think Doolin's on year three or four. That they've been with us for a little bit. Granson was a tight end draft pick, but, uh, I think, last year or the year before. But like if Paris Campbell had no targets, or Paris Campbell had no catches. By the way, for those uh, again, for Colts fans saying this is going to be his year, 
You guys clearly know the sport of football. Congratulations. He is an absolute bust, a wash, a scrub. He's trash. Worse he can't stay Harry? healthy either. Worse than the kill Harry? Bro, at least Nikhil Harry plays. Bro, he's missed the last three years with three different injuries. Since he's been drafted, he's been hurt, legitimately. And he was a stud coming out of Ohio State, too. Scrub. <sighs> Sorry, Tyree, but scrub. Yeah, you got you to gotta call it how you see it, man. So, scrub. It's not a good look for the Colts. I mean, granted, it's nope. week two, so... Again, if we could end up turning it around and we could end up going fucking uh, 14 1 and 1 or 15 1 and 1 for all I, for all I know. But dude, we're going to play Kansas City next week. We are going to get annihilated, bro. Like we're literally going to get crushed, Kyle. They're going to kill us. Like don't show up. Put in Sam Ellinger, put in the scrubs. Like bro, go sign a homeless man off the street. Bro, they're good. Patrick Mahomes is coming with a sniper rifle from the top of Lucas Oil, and he's just going to start destroying us, bro. One defender at a time. Bro, Shaq Leonard, take the take an extra week. Don't even come back. For what? You think that Pat's going for like 400 yards next week? Pat might throw for 700 yards. You have no faith. No faith. No fa- have they given me a reason to have faith, Kyle, in two weeks? Not really. We yeah, tied with Davis Mills. Who the fuck is that? <laughs> I got a lot of slack on that a couple of months ago because apparently, I, I apparently to some of the people, I didn't know what I was talking about with David Mills. He actually, he actually hasn't looked too bad so far. But I'm over it. We can go to the next one. Are you okay? You okay? I'm heated, bro. I, I when we were texting. I laughed the entire day. I watched the second half in Isabel's uncle has, uncle's house. Bro, everyone was like, how you doing? I was like, bro, I don't care. Like, I was laughing. Now the anger has sit in talking about it. I, I, bro, I, I feel like you might have to, you know, claim some emancipation here from your team. You might have to. And I, I know that, it's that's crossed tough my mind. It's crossed my mind. I've never left a team. Like, I've never in my 28 years of life stopped cheering for a team. Like, like changed fandom ever it like i i contemplate it every week every sunday it's only been two like you, like you said fire frank right that's the first step fire frank fire frank okay all right apparently carson wasn't the issue there's a little bit more than just that don't start don't start we're not going into that <laughs> had a decent day with the commanders it, i mean it was an l but still Overall, uh, let's move on to the next topic at hand, and that's going to be the Jets and the Browns. Guys, we're just kind of continuing the trend here of some of these just amazing comeback games. Uh, This is another one. Uh, The Jets find a way to squeak this one out basically at the end against the Browns. The Browns look like they had this game wrapped up at the end of the fourth quarter. I mean, at one point it was 30-17 to with only a few minutes left in the fourth quarter, yet the Jets went on a 14-0 run. With just a few minutes left in the fourth quarter, Joe Flacco leads the Jets to really an unbelievable week two win against the Browns to get them to a 500 record. And there's a lot of different ways that you could look at this. You could look at this as the Jets took advantage of the Browns falling asleep. You could look at this as the Browns just absolutely pissing away this game. It's a lot of different angles that you want to take with this one or that you could take with this one. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, what do you make? of this wild game between the Jets and the Browns that resulted with the Jets winning in a one-point game? 
I just think the Jets outperformed Cleveland, quite frankly. Um, Jacoby Brissett had himself a solid game. He didn't do anything to win the game. He didn't do anything to lose the game outside of an interception. But, I mean, like, he only had five incompletions, almost had 100 passer rating, like, was only sacked one time. Um, I think, again, another situation. A team either took their foot off the gas pedal or wasn't able to capitalize on the offensive side to where New York was able to get a stop or two. But, I mean, dude, the fourth quarter, there were 30 points scored by both teams. Like, New York had 17, Cleveland had 13. Like, it wasn't like they were shutting anybody out. It was just that New York was able to do something that not a lot of NFL teams can do. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, they got the onside kick, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, that that's that's one thing that never happens in football, at least not at a high percentage of probability. Uh, you score, you get the onside kick, and then you go out and you score again. So it's it's literally... Joe Flacco is probably 58 years old, and he led this team with four touchdowns and 300 yards. Joe Flacco hasn't played meaningful football and has never won with the Jets, and he suited up with them, I think, with two separate stints. Bro... I think he was 0-6 as a starter for the Jets between last season and this year. He gets his first win by one point against Cleveland. Bro, he had a damn near perfect game also. I mean, I know that he had a lot more incompletions, but he had 110 passer rating. He had four touchdowns, 307 yards. Like, he did his thing, man. Rookie Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State, he went off. He had 102 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, Corey Davis had an 83... Like, he had an 83-yard performance. I mean... You name it, the Jets were able to do it. They ran effectively on the ground. They only had 20 touches, or should I say 20 rushes, but they had 4.7 yards per carry. And then you go out and you look on the Cleveland side. Dude, Nick Chubb, 8. Kareem Hunt, 8. They had over 180 yards rushing as a team. And they lost. Amari Cooper had over 100 yards receiving. And they lost. Like, the Browns... Oh, man. I, I, I don't even know what to say, bro. It's like... They had this game, and for whatever reason, the Jets woke up and decided to say, you know what, we're not going out without a fight. We're just not, and quite honestly, I just truly believe that Cleveland Cleveland just, Cleveland didn't even fall asleep, man. I, I just don't think they were prepared for New York doing what they did in, the, in that fourth quarter, man, because 17 points is just crazy. It's just, you don't see that coming, and I think that the Jets... Uh, they surprised a lot of people. I know Zach Wilson is supposed to come back in a week or two, but I mean, Joe Flacco did his thing. It's probably one of the best games he's had in maybe five plus years, but shout out to them. I think they did really good. Obviously, Brees Hall played well. Michael Carter played decent. I mean, you know, you name it. There were a lot of contributing factors to the Jets being successful, but overall, a great team win, and I will say it for the third time because this is the third segment. This is why you don't quit and you keep playing until the game's over. I just want to put this into perspective. The Browns were up 30 to 17 with a minute 55 left. And then Joe Flacco hits Corey Davis on a 66 yard completion, goes for a touchdown. Now the score is 30 to 24. Like Kevin already said, Jets get the onside kick with, if I have the time right, they got the ball back at a minute. I believe it was a minute left in the game. And after that, <laughs> they just marched down the field and end up scoring right at the end. I, th- I think uh, I think Garrett Wilson ended up getting the game-winning touchdown uh, from Joe with like 20-some seconds left. I mean, if you're Cleveland at this point, your heads must be spinning. You gave up 14 points in a minute. 
This is almost very kind of similar. Kev, there was a game that the Patriots played against the Browns about maybe 10 years ago where kind of in similar fashion, the Browns were up two possessions with like a minute to go. And they have a special teams blunder by not recovering the onside kick. And then Brady marches right down the field, scores a touchdown with like five, six seconds left. And then in this game, Joe Flacco kind of pulled a Brady here and made it happen. I mean, this was basically the Browns game. The, the Browns, as far as I'm concerned, they, they were very consistent this entire game. Scored 14 points in the first half. They scored 16 points in the second half. They got good contributions from Nick Chubb. Jacoby Brissett had a solid day. It just seemed like the Browns had done enough to win this game. But that's why you play a full 60 minutes, Kev. Because in the last minute, you never know what could happen. And good on the Jets, bro. Because I know, like you said, Joe Flacco is kind of basically at the tail end of his career. Hasn't really played any meaningful football in a couple of years ever since he's left Baltimore. But I don't think a lot of people had this one going this way with like five minutes left. It looked like the Browns had this one in the bag. The Browns were, you know, we're going to start off at a 2-0 record with Jacoby Brissett at the helm. That would have looked solid for them. But the Browns just know how to Brown, bro. Like, it's the Browns. And it doesn't really matter what sort of quarterback that you had. The Browns just find a way to make themselves look like fools. And in this game, it happened. But good on Joe Flacco. I know, you know, Zach Wilson's their future, and Joe's just kind of filling in for the time being. But to go out there, throw for over 300 yards and put four touchdowns on the board and put your team on your back when they needed them the most or when they needed him the most, good on him, bro. So what a game, though. 31 to 30. They got, they got this game by one point. So, hey, that's why you get to play a full 60 minutes, bro. You never know what could happen. You never know. So, Not at all. And it makes me laugh because <laughs> you and I both said that this was a weak slate. Like this, 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 yeah, we two schedule didn't look impressive. Whatsoever. We only had like maybe two or three games that we previewed last week, you know. And honestly, the ones that we previewed, we thought that we were pretty good going into it. But, you know, that's why they play these games, Kev, because you never know what could happen. And, you know, the that's games nice. that we, the games that we covered, you know, ended up being decent ones. But, man, some of these games that we didn't cover last week ended up being phenomenal games. And, we didn't really give them much hope to begin with. So, you know, this one being one of them, on top of a bunch of ones from that Sunday slate, you know, week two did not disappoint. So not at all. My, if my anything, two, if it, it it surpassed our expectations for sure. Exactly. No. I was just about to say. But and we're not even done covering week two yet. Like there's still nope. a lot of games that we have to cover. Mm-hmm. The next one we're going into. Uh, was an NFC West battle between the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, the 49ers get the win by the score of 27-7. to So the 49ers get back to a 500 record. But the biggest story coming out of this one was Trey Lance going out of the game early with a broken ankle. And it is reported that he is going to have season-ending surgery on that ankle. It's really kind of a big blow to their quarterback development because Trey seemed like he was going to be their guy moving forward now that Jimmy was in a lot of trade rumors, wasn't really getting much practice time uh, throughout the preseason and training camp. It seems like they were possibly trying to move him this offseason and in this preseason as well. But Jimmy is going to be the guy moving forward, and Jimmy did his job by getting San Francisco a solid performance and getting it to not only a win, but getting back to 500 as a whole. 
So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, what do you make of this 49ers win against the Seattle Seahawks? And how do you think they're going to adjust now that Trey Lance is out for the rest of the year with a broken ankle? Um, I think they'll be fine, considering last week they played in a monsoon, so it wasn't like Trey Lance had any crazy development. And Jimmy was, but I think he's been their quarterback for the for the last like three, four years. They're not going to skip a beat, bro. They're going to be fine. If anything, this improves their chances to compete because it looked like they played better with him. Um, I think Jimmy Garoppolo fits the system perfectly, which is why that John Lynch and everybody else in that organization was like, you know what? We'll keep you just in case something happens. Pun it, like literally, like this is the exact reason why you do that. Nobody was biting on the trade because they didn't want to absorb the contract. And obviously what Jimmy wanted was probably another starting position somewhere else, not to be a backup. And here you go. You literally didn't play last week, and now you're going to play 16 full games. I know the season is now 17, but he basically gets a full season. So this is an opportunity for Jimmy Garoppolo to improve his stock, hopefully stay healthy, and I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be able to assist the 49ers in trying to stay relevant. Um, I don't necessarily know what Trey Lance would have been able to do because he hasn't played any meaningful football. He was also hurt for a significant portion last year to back up or excuse me, was not able to back up Jimmy when he messed up his knee. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, uh, the 49ers are going to be fine. <laughs> They've been fine with Jimmy before. They just wanted to test out Trey. They just didn't trust Jimmy was able to stay healthy. But now this is their saving grace. And he leads them to a 27-7 victory against a division rival. On the Seattle side, I'm not going to sit here and say that Geno came back to earth. He only had six incompletions. He just wasn't able to put the ball in the end zone. He had an interception. He was only sacked twice. He didn't play horrible. Uh, but, you know, the Seahawks just not were not able to capitalize. They couldn't run the football effectively. DK Metcalf was pretty much taken out of the equation in this game. But Tyler Lockett went off for 107 yards. So, I mean, Geno did what he needed to do. Uh, it was just the defense wasn't able to get any stops on the other end. But the offense also was not able to put the ball into the end zone, like I had stated. I don't even know where their touchdown came from, to be honest with you, because I'm looking at this and I'm saying it had to have been a defensive touchdown. And it was Mike Jackson, an interception. Okay, no, so no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't an interception. It was a blocked field goal, and he oh, returned it for a touchdown. That's the thing. I meant. I went to the bathroom and I saw that they had scored, and like everybody was kind of doing different things. But I know that they were like, "Oh, Michael Jackson scored an NFL touchdown." I'm like, "Who the hell is that?" Like, what? Anyway, um, but dude, Seattle came back to reality definitely, and obviously at the end of the day, San Francisco's defense locked up. But yeah, San Fran's gonna be fine. Jimmy's gonna be fine. If if this was like. If this was like another team and Jimmy came in and he had to basically learn the offense as the season was going through, then I'd say, you know what, this might be a little different. He's been in this system for four seasons already. He knows how it works. Everybody loves him. They say he's a great leader. And obviously, you're going to get George Kittle back hopefully next week. So like this is only going to get better as the season progresses. So I think San Fran's going to be fine. Their defense is good. Um, Seattle's got some things to work on. They need to figure out their play calling. They only ran the ball 14 times. Um, for 2.6 yards per carry. Uh, so we'll see. Gino's not anything electric. Gino did really good in the first half, and he didn't really do anything in the second half of last week's game. And now this week, again, nothing too crazy, nothing too terrible. He's going to be okay. That Seattle defense needs to uh, to, to, to kind of look themselves in the mirror and say, we got we to gotta do something here. Because they almost ran for 200 yards on the ground, San Francisco. And that's the thing that I've always looked at with San Francisco is... Their quarterback spot with Jimmy G has been a point of question just because you never know what you're going to get as far as production is concerned from Jimmy from 
game in to game out. But the one thing that's very consistent when it comes to the 49ers is their ability to run the football. And now that Jimmy G is back in the fold for the rest of the year, and, you know, I, I got to, you know, just say it just to say, it, you know, I got to, you know, send some prayers to Trey Lance because obviously, Facts. you know, leaving the season with a broken ankle and, and on the play that he broke his ankle, it didn't really look like that serious of a hit. It was just a QB draw and just got his ankle caught and rolled and that the rest is history at that point. So obviously it's, it's definitely a blow to him just because it looked like Trey was going to be their guy for the future because of all the rumors circulating around Jimmy. But now they're going to have to rely on Jimmy for the rest of the year. And I do think that Jimmy can be an effective quarterback and he's actually proven it in his time with the 49ers. Kev, they were one game from going to the Super Bowl last year. And it was kind of interesting because I remember we were recording an episode about halfway through the season last year, and we had a discussion about Jimmy G and whether or not that he was the guy that could really kind of take the 49ers to the promised land. And we all had our doubts about him. And, and we've even stated in the past that it wasn't necessarily Jimmy that was the motivating force to get them to where they got to last year. It was largely because of the defense stepping up, guys like Fred Warner. Um, and then you could look at the offense a lot of the contributions that they got from their offense was Jimmy and spurts, but in large part, it was because of the offense uh, and the run game. The run game has been phenomenal as far as I'm concerned the entire time that Jimmy's been there and they've utilized different players in the past. Now, Jeffrey Wilson seems to be the main running back for, for the 49ers moving forward. I like the fact that they integrate Debo as well. Debo's extremely viable in the running game for them as well. But Kevin, I'm with you on this one. I think the 49ers will be all right. I don't know how effective they're going to be in the division just because it looks like the Rams are definitely the team to beat and the Cardinals could definitely try to threaten that second spot as well. But as long as Jimmy just stays composed, doesn't force any errant passes and completes, you know, 60 to 65% of his passes, I think that could be a winning formula for the 49ers moving forward. And I think this is going to be kind of more of a strength in numbers type thing instead of just having superstars to carry the team. Because as far as I'm concerned, that style of play got them all the way to the NFC Championship game last year when nobody was really even expecting them to get that far. And a lot of people gave Jimmy slack or they didn't want to cut him slack just for his performances uh, that he had last year and in the playoffs. They weren't necessarily the the best performances you want from your quarterback at that time. But it could be worse. You know, there are worse quarterbacks that are playing not up to snuff football at this point, but at least Jimmy goes out there and gives the 49ers a chance. He does enough to get by, but does he go above and beyond? Not necessarily, but sometimes you just need enough from your quarterback to get you a win. And Jimmy G was able to do that today against the, against the Seattle Seahawks. So give him credit. He stepped in admirably, but as far as Trey is concerned, just, you know, really tough uh, to see him go out for the rest of the year. So we'll kind of see how it plays out with Jimmy for the rest of the year. I'm too worried. I think it'll be fine. Yeah, it's just, you know, it just seemed like, you know, Trey was, honestly, the the jury's still out on Trey. You know, I'm not going to make much. He hasn't shown anything because he hasn't been able to play. I know, and that's the thing is just at this point, you know, I think, how many career starts did Trey have? Three? Was this his third career start? I think so, yeah, because the one game he started uh, for Jimmy, I believe, last year, he got hurt for, like, I think two months. He messed up his MCL or something like that. Yeah, so, 
I mean, Trey's extremely athletic, and I think that's why the 49ers selected him in the draft. He definitely possessed a skill set that I think the 49ers were drawn to. But, yeah, just tough to see him go out in the second game of the year on a broken ankle when it didn't even look like that bad of a play. It wasn't like it, – it, it was just a simple QB draw. And it's crazy. Like, a simple play like that, and season's over. It's just crazy. He tried to stand up, and he just went straight back down. And it's just, it's unfortunate for him, but, you know, Jimmy G's going to have to step up and they're going to have to hope for the best. But it is kind of awkward knowing that they were trying to trade him the entire offseason and the preseason and training camp. And now he's the guy for them moving forward. It's a little bit awkward, but what are you going to do? That's how it works, bro. That's hilarious. It's the business. But but with that said, uh, for the rest of the Sunday games, we're just going to do a quick roundup of the games we haven't covered yet. Uh, we'll start with the Patriots and the Steelers. Very defensive battle. A, a very defensive-minded game, I should say. Uh, the Patriots go on the road and get a solid three-point win against the Steelers. They won by the score of 17-14. to um, Both quarterbacks didn't necessarily light it up. Mac Jones and Mitchell Trubisky both had a touchdown. Both had an interception. But really, what carried the day was the Patriots' defense. They were able to pretty much shut down the Steelers throughout pretty much the entire game to only 14 points. Uh, Najee Harris was not much of a factor throughout the game. And at the end of the game, the Patriots were able to effectively run out the clock, getting multiple third down conversions, running the ball effectively with Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson to get them a much needed win on the road to get them to a 500 record. Um, Going to the next game, uh, the Giants get a very close win against the Carolina Panthers by the score of 19 to 16. Crazy to say, but the Giants are off to a 2-0 start. And we didn't give much hope to the Giants to begin with before the season had started. So uh, Giants played a really chippy game today. Only held the Panthers to 16 points. Their defense has been very solid so far. Um, when it comes to their offense, they're doing enough. Saquon's had a pretty solid start to the year. Obviously, his week one performance was was great to see him get back into a resurgent role for the Giants and did enough in today's game to get them a dub. 2-0 record in the NFC East. It's a good start for the Giants, so it's not a tire fire as far as I'm concerned yet, but 2-0 is 2-0. Uh, after that, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Buccaneers and the Saints. The Bucs handled their business in New Orleans, winning by the score of 20-10. Kind of similar to the Patriots and Steelers game as far as the defensive battle that took place. Both defenses played pretty solid. Um, the Saints did give up 20 points to the Buccaneers. Uh, Tom did throw a nice touchdown to Brashad Perriman in the quarter. That was the only touchdown uh, that Tampa threw for the day. But Jameis kind of had a return to famous Jameis back to his Tampa days. Had three interceptions. Jameis had a really tough day uh, at the office. And that Bucks defense, granted it's only been two games, they have only given up 13 points in the first two games. They're only allowing six and a half points per game. So essentially that Bucks defense is off to a very solid start. Granted, they have played only against Dak Prescott Cooper Rush, and now Jameis Winston. So it's not necessarily the best quarterback talent that you can go up against, but you know they're playing pretty solid against the quarterbacks uh, that they're going up against. Uh, after that, um, we got the Lions and the Commanders. Kev, do you want to take this one? Because I mean, I yeah, think there were I mean, some I, interesting points in this game. 
I think so. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, Jared Goff is showing that, you know, he is trying his hardest in Detroit. Obviously, when you go out there to Detroit and you get traded from L.A., you think that your career is pretty much over. Dan Campbell and that staff have completely turned everything around over there on the Lions team. And I believe that they are going to be a a very competitive team uh, this season. But of course, you know, uh, Carson Wentz leads the commanders back. Uh, within a couple of points, within a possession, actually. But Amon St. Brown just absolutely got just... <laughs> he crushed me in fantasy for like He's a 40 beast. points. He's a he beast. Just, he, he cooked. DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Swift did his thing. Obviously, at the end of the day, uh, Dotson was able to get me some points in fantasy as well. But this was a very, very, very solid game. Another comeback almost because Washington was legitimately just crawling back and crawling back. But of course, at... Detroit got the last laugh and was able to score later in the fourth to put it out of reach. Uh, and of course, you know, at the end of the day, this is kind of how it works in football. You know, you just keep pushing through. But I thought that this game was actually a lot more competitive because Detroit was up by a decent amount for a while. And Washington just completely turned it on in the second half and they were able to cl- claw their way back. So I thought it was very competitive overall. Detroit was cooking. I mean, I, I have to say this, you know, just to kind of make a in quick two point weeks, about Detroit. Bro, they've had over, they've had over what, 70 solid. points. And Jared Goff has actually been very solid so far. Defensively, they're giving up points. Yeah, that's probably that, that, that's the biggest thing that I can point to is that their defense is giving up a lot of points. But the fact that their offense is scoring at this clip, maybe it's just they want to look good because of hard knocks. But overall, these guys are playing pretty solid so far. You know, Bro, he get, had get, four tuts. He's off to a good start, my guy. Let's just see whether or not that he can continue this moving forward because it is only week two so you know this might be the best that we see from the Lions for the rest of the year but I gotta say they're off to a decent start this is not the the Lions that went 0-16 or 0-17 like this is actually a competitive football team so after that um Kev you you can dive into this one if you want to uh we got the Falcons and the Rams up next yeah so uh (laughs) another crazy asking bro i'm telling you i feel like i'm a broken record i feel like i'm like repeating myself with diff- with the same segment over and over but it's just my god at one point the falcons were down 28 to 3 ironically enough the the infamous 28 to 3 that that number will never leave them and they claw back to within 4 points everything that needed to happen for them between a fumble a pick six a just the, the falcons we're finding ways to get it done on all facets of the game. Marcus Mariota was doing his thing. Obviously, Cordell Patterson was doing his thing. The Rams have really, really gotten lucky. Um, obviously, at the end of the day, you know, Matt Stafford did what he needed to do to put them within a winning position. He had 300, almost 300 yards, three tuts, but he did have another two-interception game. Um, you know, Marcus Mariota wasn't necessarily a comparison or much of a battle because he only had 196 and two touchdowns, but he also had two interceptions. So I'm looking at this game and I'm saying, all right, well, the Falcons have shown in two weeks, they are very competitive. They are not giving up. They are going to be fighting tooth and nail all the way to the end. They might not be there yet to compete for a playoff spot or anything like that, but they're showing that they're going in the right direction with the personnel that they've assembled. And obviously, at the end of the day, you go and you look at where their production came from. Drake London, as of right now, seems like a a hit in the draft. He is very productive. He's very elusive, very crisp route runner, and he is able to create separation at the line of scrimmage. So I will give him a lot of credit for that. But then you go and you look at the Rams, Cooper Cup, not even a question. You know he's going to get his looks. 
Tyler Higby had his game of the week of the year, and then Allen Robinson finally got his targets, was able to get open, get a touchdown for all of those people that were saying he was washed, that he's done, that he's cooked. You guys don't understand football. It takes a long time to get that chemistry built with a quarterback who has such a tight relationship with Cooper Cup. Like, you know, I know that he meshed pretty well with, um, oh my God, Odell last year, but it, it takes a good amount of time for Allen Robinson and, you know, obviously Matt Stafford to find a connection. And they were able to connect and go to, and, and, you know, score a touchdown this week. So we finally put that to bed. Overall, I thought it was a great game. Atlanta scores 24 points in the second half as opposed to the uh, the, the Rams' 10 points. But again, it comes down to fighting to the end and, and just continue to persevere. But the Rams come out on top with a 31-27 to victory. Yeah, and then, I mean, this one's kind of a snooze fest. I mean, there's not really much to make here. Uh, the Broncos did beat the Texans by the score of 16-9. to But yeah, this one was a snooze fest. Uh, it is safe to say that Kev, is it a little premature to say that there's some issues in Denver with Russell Wilson? And just I don't know the... about premature. I think there's some questions with the coaching staff. Nathaniel Hackett looks awful. I, it's bad. He looks I mean, lost. I mean, the play clock management last week against Seattle was one thing. But this is just, the play calling has just not looked good so far. I mean, we were kind of, I mean, Kev, I think even when we were talking about like the AFC West before the season had started, I mean, we were talking about whether or not that this team could potentially be vying for a division title. And mind you, we're talking about the AFC West, and you know, this team that division is just stacked with competitive teams, but man, they they just look kind of lost right now. I mean, they they lost on the road to Seattle last week, and you would think that they would kind of correct their mistakes going into this one, but they just didn't have it together today. I mean, granted they won, but there was a lot of disarray associated with this win, though. I mean, Dude, take the win. Take went, the, I think Russell went fourteen to thirty-one, bro. That's awful. I know it. I, I, you know, granted it. I mean, I guess it was enough to win, but I mean, I guess you take an ugly loss when you can. But it's like that film session is not going to be a fun one. So, I just don't know how that's going to play out. But I mean, a win is a win. Didn't really feel like it though. No, not at all. If you're struggling against Houston, that's not a good look. And you struggled against Seattle, not a good look. You know what I'm saying? Like two yeah. teams that that no disrespect to either franchise. That should they should be two and zero. That that they they should have crushed them with the team that they have assembled on paper. Jerry Judy actually ends up getting hurt in this game, but man, did Cortland Sutton pop off? Yeah. Hey, the only thing is, man, imagine if they had Tim Patrick. If they I don't had even know him, if that would help, bro. I really don't know. It's not even that they're creating separation. It's Russell's not making good reads. It could just Russell be, looks lost. It could just be a new system. Just adjusting to it. It's going to take and, time, I guess. But Hackett, Hackett's on the hot seat. Already? Like straight up. Hot seat. Bro, you look bad. You look lost on the sideline between your play calling and time management in the last two weeks. If you lose this game... I 100% think John Elway's have John Elway, who's the uh, executive vice president or higher leader or whatever the hell. He's the president of like operations. Yeah, I, I think you're you're sitting in his office saying, "What are we doing? This isn't what we signed up for. Like, how the how the fuck are we here? This team you know, is way too good to be struggling against these bum teams." You, you know what's crazy is that Nathaniel Hackett is getting more heat in the last two weeks than I think Frank Reich has gotten in the last two years. We're not doing this again. 
I have put it to bed. <laughs> no, because like, I, I mean, I was going through Twitter before uh, we started recording, and they were specifically talking about Nathaniel Hackett because Nathaniel Hackett, of all people, was actually trending on Twitter. And I mean, bro, they're giving him the business. Oh yeah, just because he, it's like you said, he just looks lost. And mind you, like he's coming from Green Bay, and Green Bay have one of the most productive offenses with Aaron Rodgers the last couple of years. And it's just I don't know. It's just it's just bad. I mean, great that they won, but it's like lost. Ugh, ugh. Lost. Yeah, I mean it's week two. It's week two. Exactly. I'm not gonna make an overestimation or an overprediction or I mean they're they're, they're they're playing like this in week twelve. Then that's a different discussion but right i mean if you're gonna get the get ugly games but at least get them out early at least at least let this be the, the ugly one because yeah. i don't know if it can I'm, get much uglier than these last two games for denver you're not wrong i mean but, speaking of ugly uh we go into our final game the absolute bore fest that was the green bay packers facing the chicago bears and we call, we, we, call exa- this, we, we call this one yeah, but I mean, it went exactly as I planned. I knew it would be a blowout. I just I felt that they were going to lean on the run game, and they ran for over 200 yards. Like, yeah. it just, listen, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I know how it works. I know how the formula is. You have to lean on what works and who you can trust. Can the ball off to Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Let them do what they need to do. Obviously, you know, if you have to throw to the running backs out of the backfield also, then that's what you need to do, my friend, because apparently nothing else is working. That receiving core looks like it's just not going to mesh. And on the Chicago side, they came right back down to earth. Justin, I think Justin Fields only had seven completions. I mean, it, what are you supposed to do? Matt Eberflus goes and takes a dumbass job. That's on him for taking the head coaching opportunity to go with a terrible organization. Their receiving room is bad. Other than David Montgomery going absolutely crazy, they, they, they couldn't do anything. Chicago looks lost completely as a franchise. I don't know how they're still an NFL team, to be honest with you. Because, bro, they're horrible. Yeah, like, I mean, I was going through the uh, the box score, and I was watching this game before we started recording. And, I mean, the Bears got off to a decent start. They were up 7-3 to three early, but it's like, that was it. That was the only bright spot for them, because after that, it was Green Bay the entire way. And, you know, when it, when it comes to Green Bay specifically, I'm of the mindset that this first half of the season for them, they're just going to use this to just get the growing pains out. And honestly, these growing pains can go the entire year when it comes to their receiving core. Because, I mean, Sammy Watkins had a decent day. I mean, he had three catches, almost had 100 yards receiving. So, I mean... It it was one catch. But still, I mean... It was a 55-yarder. I mean, take him where you can get him. So, but to me, I I, Kev, I'm with you 100% on this one. When it comes to Aaron Rodgers and who he's going to be able to throw to, just target the guys that you know are going to be there. Aaron Jones, Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb. I mean... You know, when it comes to those guys specifically, at least there's there's been a working chemistry. You could throw Robert Tunyon in there as well, just because they're like the veteran targets for Aaron to throw to. But yeah, when it comes to like Christian Watson, uh, Tyler Davis, uh, you could maybe throw Romeo Dobbs in there too. This is going to be a work in progress with those guys. And I mean, this is not Devontae Adams anymore. So, I mean, it, if Devontae's in this lineup, I think Green Bay scores 40. I I, I, just based off of the chemistry alone, this would have been a 30 point game in favor of Green Bay. It it, it really just just kind of shows the void that Devontae has 
in that wide receiver room. I mean, it's stark. You know, it really kind of goes to show like how much that wide receiving core was carried by one guy. Dude, David so, Montgomery had 15 carries for a buck 22. Like, that is literally your only saving grace from this averaged, game being he, a, a complete blowout. He averaged eight Which yards it was. a carry. He averaged eight yards a carry. Dude, Justin Fields had seven yards passing. 70. He had 11 throws. 11 passes. What are you doing? Like, what What are you, what, what they, are you they, doing? Like, they, I didn't watch this game, but I would assume that you sat there and you said, I don't even know what the play is, coach. What are we doing? Like, I, that's what I envisioned in my head. Yeah, it's just, you know, when, when it came to the Bears last week, the Bears kind of won that game off a of circumstance, which is playing in monsoon conditions. And obviously that had an effect with the 49ers. So I'm not going to take too much in stock of what Chicago did in week one. But yeah, when it came to this matchup, I mean, it was Green Bay all day. You know, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure this one out. Low key, and I say this with the utmost respect because I have a couple of Bears fans, friends. They might be the worst team of football. Like, it's week two, I know, but it, dude, when it's not raining or snowing or something extra ex- extravagant, it, it, dude, they look bad. Like, they look really, really bad. Yeah, it's. I mean, there's a couple teams that you could throw in there. I mean, I thought the Lions would kind of be in that group, but the Lions have proved otherwise, so I can't really say them. Nobody in the NFC North outside of Chicago looks that bad. The NFC South, Carolina's not looking too hot. Carolina's been competitive. I was just about to say, at least, but, but at least they've close. shown some. They've shown something. Yeah, and the Bears are the Bears Seriously? are sitting at one and one. The Bears are sitting at one and one, so it could be worse, but. It just seems like the structure is just loose. It's, it's top, shaky. It's, to, it's, it's shaky top, at it's best. Top to bottom. Top it's to shaky bottom. at That's best. It at worst, it's a dumpster fire. Yep. I, I mean, there, I was actually kind of thinking along like the Giants a couple of weeks before the season had started, but they're off to a 2 0 start. Their defense has been playing phenomenal. Their offense has been playing good enough. But yeah, that 70 yards passing. 70 yards passing for Justin Fields. That's a terrible performance. Tyree, get your boys, bro. Get your boys. Yeah. But uh, with that said, uh, we're going to transition to the Monday night slate of games. We actually have two of them uh, coming up on Monday. Uh, The first one being the Titans and the Bills. Kev, just off of paper alone, this looks like a pretty interesting matchup going into Monday night. Uh, Tennessee is at an 0-1 record. Uh, the Bills are at a 1-0 record, and I think obviously probably the, the key points of emphasis here is whether or not that Tennessee is going to be able to effectively use Derrick Henry in the run game. And then when you look at the Bills, is it's whether or not that the Bills can continue the success that they had against the Rams on the season opener with the, effectiveness, the effectiveness of Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, and just seeing if that can continue into this, what would be considered their first home game of the season. Uh, going into Monday night. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, in this Monday night matchup between the Titans and the Bills, who do you think is going to get the dub and why? Dude, it's Buffalo all day. If the Tennessee Titans struggled against the Giants, no disrespect to the Giants because they're 2-0, but the Giants are levels beneath the Bills in terms of power and you know offensive capability. And obviously that Bills defense showed up last week against probably one of the better teams in the league in the Rams. And they've had a couple of extra days rest because they played the first game of the year on a Thursday. So they're very well rested and prepared for this opportunity. And I think that, you know, 
maybe they let Derrick Henry do his thing, but I just I can't trust Ryan Tannehill. I don't really care what other people say. I know that he was able to lead this team to an AFC Championship appearance a few years back, but it. I don't trust him. And obviously, when you're going up against, in my opinion, the best team in the league, it's not going to be close. Hopefully, they're going to end up being 0-2 because I am a Colts fan. And even though we are an embarrassment to the NFL, um, we do need our division rivals to lose. So I think the score probably is anywhere from like, I don't know, 35-21. Maybe if Derrick Henry goes for like a buck 50 or something like that, maybe it's a lot closer. But I think Josh Allen completely tortures the secondary. And I think that uh, Devin Singletary has his first 100-yard game of the season. I truly believe that Buffalo is going to run through a lot of these teams, and it's going to be quite the shit show for a, plot, a, a lot of defensive coordinators. Me, Kevin, I'm in full agreement with you on this one. I think Buffalo is going to get the win on Monday night against Tennessee. Um, but I look at what they did to the Rams in week one in the season opener. I mean, they effectively shut down one of the best teams, not only in the NFC, but in the NFL, and completely played spoiler in the Rams You know, going into week one and celebrating the Super Bowl uh, championship from last year. I mean, and it effectively spanked them on top of that too. And it, it kind of goes to show why the Bills are probably the best team in the NFL at this current moment in time. I mean, when I look at this matchup specifically, I just love the fact that Josh Allen's off to an amazing start, not only with his connection with Stephon Diggs, but continuing the growing relationship with Gabriel Davis because Gabriel Davis, really since the playoffs last year, especially against that, uh, especially in, KC last year where he just absolutely dominated in every way, shape, or form. It really seems like he has slid in very nice into that number two spot behind Stephon Diggs in the wide receiving core. It just overall, that offense is just humming at every level imaginable. And Kevin, I'm going to slightly disagree with you on who I think is going to be the lead rusher for Buffalo. I actually think it is going to be Josh Allen once again, uh, simply just because they're just going to use him effectively as much as possible. And whenever he gets out into open space, he is not an easy guy to bring down. The guy is like 6'4", 6'5", is probably upwards of like 230, 240 pounds. And, you know, when he gets out into open space, he can definitely make some plays. And he's definitely shown that in the past and continues to show it once again. And I know that the Buffaloes tried to make a bigger emphasis on running the football more effectively with the running backs that they have at their disposal. But I think just sometimes just Josh is going to take it into his own hands and make the most of it. And I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up, you know, getting somewhere around 50 to 75 yards rushing and ends up being the leading rusher when it's all said and done. But when it comes to their defense, I mean, their defense is top notch. I mean, they have some of the best secondary pieces that you can think of with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Obviously, Von Miller and their pass rush is extremely effective. It's just their defense, I mean, at every single level is very scary to deal with. It's very scary to deal with, I should say. And I think that they're actually going to do a pretty good job in containing Derrick Henry in this upcoming matchup. When I look at Tennessee, you know, Tennessee is coming off of a tough loss to the Giants last week. I'm just not really sold on this offense being as prolific as they once were. It's just Ryan Tannehill doesn't really, doesn't really instill confidence in me just because of that really weak performance that he had last week. And then that was coming off of the heels of a really weak performance in the playoffs last year against the Bengals. I think the only thing that's going to make the, the Titans viable this year is if that Ryan Tannehill doesn't screw it up for them and that Derrick Henry goes off for 125 to 170 yard, 175 yards a game. I think that's really their only way they're going to be able to win moving forward and then maybe some solid defensive performances. But in this game specifically, I think Buffalo wins this one pretty handily. I think if I had to put a score on it, I think Buffalo is going to win this one like 34 to 21. I do believe that it is going to be a two possession game when it's all said and done. 
and I'm just rolling with the hot hand right now. Buffalo seems to be the team to beat right now after that drubbing that they put on the Rams in week one. And I think that that same type of uh, game style goes into week two. And I think that they handily beat the Titans on Monday Night Football. Yeah, the only reason I'm going to watch this game is the Bills. Like, I, I don't really care about the Titans. I don't really have any fantasy implication with the Titans. Um, I do have Josh Allen in a league and a couple of other uh, Bills players. But truthfully, I just want to see Josh Allen torch the league this year, man. So he's, that's the only thing I'm looking forward to, honestly. Yeah, he's, he's on one right now, and that's putting it mildly. Uh, but to transition to our last game of, of focus for Week 2, uh, it is going to be the Monday night matchup of the vikings versus the eagles uh, when we look back to last week both teams were victorious in their week one matchups uh, the vikings had a pretty solid win over the green bay packers and the eagles kevin remind me who did the eagles play last week the lions and the eagles beat the lions and yes, did. that was a, it was a actually was that a game, actually got, game actually ended up being a close one when it was all said and done but early on the eagles looked like they were effectively handling their business but kind of let it slip in the fourth quarter but this is a very interesting matchup. Uh, the Eagles are looking to match the Giants in the NFC East at a 2-0 record. Um, you look at the Vikings. The Vikings are trying to go to 2-0. So this is actually going to be a pretty interesting game as far as I'm concerned. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, this upcoming Monday night matchup between the Vikings and the Eagles, who do you think is going to come out on top and why? So the, not bias, but the I guess the fandom in me wants to pick Philly, but I am nervous that Philly's defense was unable to stop Detroit, and I think that the offense of Minnesota is better than Detroit. So unless they make some adjustments, I really do believe this game could go a lot closer, uh, be a lot tighter than it should be. Uh, but I'm going to actually go with my gut, and I'm going to go with the Eagles. I think that they're going to look at this, and they're going to say, you know what, last week we did not perform well. We did not play up to our standards of what we want to do in Philadelphia, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, Jalen Hurts was absolutely on one. A.J. Brown was on one. I think that the running game is going to be consistent on this as well. However, Minnesota's defense was, was, was very, very clever, um, and they were able to get to Aaron Rodgers quick. They were able to penetrate that offensive line, and they were able to make moves to where they made his life a living hell, and Aaron Rodgers is a little bit better of a quarterback than, of course, Jalen Hurts would be. So I think their defense might struggle with his mobility because Aaron Rodgers isn't exactly the most mobile anymore, but if Jalen Hurts can kind of elude the pressure, they can keep him upright. I do think that the combination of A.J. Brown and, of course, Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard and those boys can actually put a, a relatively good game together. I don't think that they score 30 points again just because I think Minnesota's defense is better than Detroit's. But I do believe that Philadelphia probably squeaks out a close one, maybe by the score of a field goal difference. So I think Philly might win 24-21, something like that. And hopefully they're able to turn the ball over, uh, get Kirk to throw, turn the ball over. But I, I do see Dalvin Cook going off for about a buck 25, buck 50 for sure. Yeah, this was really a toss-up for me. It can really go either way. I am going to pick the Vikings in this one. I was really impressed by the fact that they were able to limit Aaron Rodgers in that Green Bay offense to seven points. And granted, it was week one, so... Green Bay still figuring it out, but the Vikings defense, which has been maligned to say the least over the last couple of years, they really kind of impressed me in week one. And moving forward, I think that Vikings defense is going to be the point of emphasis here because the way that I see it when it comes to this Monday night matchup is whether or not that they, they can be able to contain Jalen Hurts in that read option. Uh, the Eagles do a very good job in utilizing Jalen Hurts in this read option with Miles Sanders, uh, Kenneth Gainwell as well. It just seems like the Eagles offense is largely predicated on that to just keep drives moving forward. And then that sets up uh, Jalen Hurts to set up some nice passing plays for A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, 
and then maybe Miles Sanders out of the backfield and De- Devontae Smith as well. It just seems like to me that if they could be able to limit the Eagles' effectiveness in that read option to just keep drives in momentum for Philly, I think it could actually work out in the Vikings' favor. I love the fact that the Vikings um, are just kind of staying very consistent on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, last year, when it came to Kirk Cousins and just the building chemistry with Justin Jefferson, it seems to be like on a whole nother level going into this year. I mean, Justin Jefferson had a fantastic week one performance where he had nine catches, had over 180 yards receiving, and was effectively a beast against that Green Bay secondary. And the only thing that I would kind of hope for in this game against the Eagles is Kirk to probably target Adam Thielen a little bit more. Adam's a very solid number two wide receiver. And if they could be able to effectively pass to not only Justin Jefferson, but to Adam Thielen as well. That offense is very scary when you combine it with the fact that they have Dalvin Cook, who is an absolute stud in their backfield. Overall, I think this is actually going to be a very high-scoring game, uh, simply just because I think both defenses are going to struggle. I think the Vikings are going to give up points in this one to Philly, but I do think that Philly is going to give up points in return because, let's face it, Philly was effectively beating the Lions last week, and then the Lions, give them credit, had 21 second-half points and actually kind of made it a game at the end. Now, granted, you know, Philly came away with a win, but it did show me that there are some cracks in that Philly defense, and I think that if the Vikings looked through the tape correctly, I think that they could exploit some of those weaknesses in the Eagles' secondary, especially with Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. I think that it could work out in the Vikings' favor. Um, like I said, high-scoring game, but I think it's going to be a one-position game when it's all said and done. I think at the end, I'm going to have this one at like a 31 to 27 score. It'll be a one position game when it's all said and done. But I think the Vikings, if they get the dub here on this one and they move to 2-0 and in the season. This is going to be a, a very critical game for Philadelphia early on because the NFC East is being a little different this year. Like the commanders look solid. Dallas obviously probably being the weakest link because of the injury to Dak. And then the Giants being 2-0, and it's kind of like a little flip-flop almost. It's kind of just odd. Uh, Philly's got to be careful here. I'm not saying that they're going to lose uh, a grasp on the division. I'm not saying that they're going to fall behind. But this is your first test immediately right off the bat. Not that Detroit is a scrub, but they're not necessarily favored in most of their matchups because, let's be frank, they're not expected to do much. Mm-hmm. Minnesota is expected to take over the division, in our opinion. Minnesota is a team offensively that is going to provide Philly with a nightmare matchup on the defensive side. Now, they have James Bradbury and Darius Slate to try to shadow Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, but the combination of those two receivers has paid dividends and has given uh, opposing defensive coordinators nightmares over the past couple of seasons. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying... This is where you have to turn those naysayers around and say that we can do this. You cannot afford to struggle here and get embarrassed on your home turf in Philadelphia this weekend. Those fans are going to go crazy. It's going to be an electrifying night. But man, I am petrified that Amon St. Brown was able to torch them last week. What do you think Justin Jefferson's going to do? It's it's going to be a, a must-watch game for me because I'm definitely looking at this and saying, I know that I picked Philadelphia to go to an NFC Championship appearance, but with Minnesota being a tough, tough, tough opponent right off the bat, if you can't contain them, this season's going to be a pain to get through. I, I got to give you credit. That was a bold take when you made that prediction of the Eagles going to an NFC Championship game. That, it's a bold take. It's a bold take when you made it. I, I, I give you credit, bro. I give you credit. I, I said the Bengals would go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> that one, that one's looking rough right now. 
knowing how their offensive line plays. So I know. listen, listen, just give me five minutes with them and put a bulletproof wall in front of me so they can't beat me up. Bro, I'll rip them a new one right now. I said, all of y'all suck. You about to all lose your jobs if you don't fucking do something here. Yeah, especially after the millions of dollars that these new guys that they brought in got paid and they're not doing anything so far. Yeah, they're effectively standing posts at the end of the day. Yeah, they can't even guard a parked car. I know that's a running joke, but still, like, yeah, it's bad. It it's is bad. what it is. It's bad. Yes, but Kev, that, that, uh, that pretty much wraps it up for us. I, I know we had a lot to talk about today. I mean... Oh, yeah. The week two slate did not disappoint in the NFL. And granted, I mean, there could have been some other topics, you know, going on in the sports world that we could have focused on. But no, today was all about the NFL. The NFL Facts. was cream of the crop when it came to uh, the topics at hand today. And overall, I thought week two was great. And that was despite the fact that we didn't even really give it that much of a chance going into this weekend. Facts. But um, once again, I mean, you know, we say it every time. But, you know, before we close out an episode, uh, we just appreciate you guys tuning in, um, whether it's listening to us on our audio platforms or if it's listening to us on Spotify or watching us on YouTube. Uh, we definitely appreciate you guys. Um, like I said um, in the past, uh, we definitely appreciate uh, the opportunity that Electrocast has given us. And uh, we hope that this uh, partnership is a solid one moving forward. And uh, like I said, just really thankful for the opportunity with Electrocast. Uh, Kev, I got nothing more to say. Uh, you can close us on out from here. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as always, my partner already alluded, we appreciate it no matter where we get the support from, no matter what platform. And again, you know, we enjoy what we do. We have a lot of fun doing it. Obviously, you know, some opinions may go a little skewed and a little far to other people, but you guys got to remember, we're just two guys kind of effectively sitting in our own apartments talking shit about sports and we're having fun doing it. So it's like, there is no difference of you doing it at work, doing it with your friends. We're just we're just having fun and we're having a good time doing it. So uh, week two, incredible. Obviously, it's not over. We got two more games like we talked about. So we're just excited to see how that goes. But happy to see NFL is back, man. I'm just football's here. It's I want to take my shirt off because I keep seeing it in my reflection because I'm just frustrated. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just happy to be the, the best sport in the world has returned. And it's just it's making our lives so much better, honestly. Oh, 100%. And um, hopefully week three uh, lives up to expectations. Obviously, uh, we'll be back for another episode on Friday. So um, we haven't really looked at any of the games yet for week three. We'll wait till week two closes out. But, you know, we'll be right back here on Friday. Uh, we'll be previewing some games. So until then, you guys, take it easy, and uh, we'll see you later. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electricast production. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.